the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. What does it take to fill the Lord with joy? Join us and find out next on Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner. So what does the Lord delight in? What does he take joy in? Well, as we'll see today, obedience is a part of it all, and success by his glory in his strength. We are continuing our look at Luke chapter 10, verses 17 through 24 today, a message called The Joy of the Lord. If you'll remember, Jesus commissions 72 of his disciples to go out and heal and cast out demons and share the gospel, and they come back with amazing success stories. This, of course, fills Jesus full of joy. How does that relate to you and I today? Well, that's what we're seeking to answer here on this broadcast. Join us with this edition of Abounding Grace. Here's Pastor Gary Wagner. Jesus also rejoices in the unique, profound, eternal relationship between Him and God the Father. One thing that brings great joy to the Lord Jesus Christ is the knowledge of that unique and profound relationship He has with God the Father. Remember, there is another emphasis in the book of Luke that we have seen time and again, and that is that the Lord's Christ is Christ the Lord. We see this theme over and over in Luke, that Jesus is God in human flesh. At the beginning of Luke 10, verses 1 and 2, Jesus is referred to as the Lord, and that is the Old Testament word for God. He is said to be the Lord of the harvest in verse 2. Luke never tires of emphasizing the fact that that though Jesus is distinguished from God the Father as the Son of God, He is equal with God and the same as God. Notice how Jesus addresses God in our text. In Luke 21, He refers to God as, O Father. In verse 22 of chapter 10, He addresses Him as, My Father and of the Father. He rejoices in this relationship He has with God in which he can call the Father of heaven, my Father. Did you know that nowhere in the Bible does Jesus speak of our Father, linking himself with believers? You say, Gary, you're wrong. What about the Lord's Prayer? Yes, but Jesus said, after this manner pray ye. That is what you are to pray, disciples, Our Father. But Jesus never put himself as a disciple and addressed God as our Father. Why? Because the only reason he is our Father is because he is Jesus' Father in a much more profound sense. And Jesus says, he has been my Father and I have been his Son. And we have enjoyed that relationship without and throughout all eternity. And now by grace, I make him your Father through your faith in me. And Jesus loved that relationship. It was a unique relationship. 
Let's read the high priestly prayer in John 15 when Jesus says concerning Christians. May they all be one, even as thou, Father, art in me and I in thee, that they may be also in us. And the glory which thou hast given me, I have given them, that they may be one just as we are one, I in them and them in me, that they may be perfected in unity, that the world may know that thou didst send me and has loved me even as thou didst love me. Father, I desire, or more literally, I will, that they also, who thou hast given me, be with me where I am, in order that they may behold my glory, which thou hast given me, for thou didst love me before the foundation of the world. There is a unique relationship here between the Lord Jesus Christ and God the Father that he cherished, that brought him great glory. And the amazing thing is, beloved, the astounding thing is that he brings us Into that relationship. He says father make them one. Like we are one. I'm in you. You're in me. Now let's be in them. You've loved me from all eternity. And now Lord I pray. You love them with the love. You always had for me. Why? You see here's the most profound. Experience that any human being. Will ever enjoy. And that is to be brought into union with the living God. And here Jesus Christ enjoys this unique relationship with the Father. And he came to earth. And he did what was necessary to bring us into that relationship. Look now at verse 22 of Luke chapter 10. There was a statement that in there in order for it to be true, Jesus Christ had to be God or it couldn't be true. Verse 22. All things have been handed over to me by my Father. Everything necessary for carrying out the salvation work that God assigned him has been entrusted to Christ alone. No mere man can receive all things from God the Father. If God the Father were to give everything he had to you, what do you think would happen to you? You'd simply disintegrate. You wouldn't be able to hold it in. But all things that belong to God are given to the Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Because He is God in human flesh. And what does all things mean? Well, first of all, it allows for no restrictions. Let me quote the Lutheran commentary, commentator R.E. Linsky. He said, since establishing his kingdom involves power over all hostile forces on earth and in hell, therefore nothing is exempt from these all things that have been handed over to Christ. All things, earth, heaven, hell, men, angels, demons, time, death, eternity, salvation, damnation, grace, judgment, life, death, truth, righteousness, glory, peace and joy, consolation, refreshing, rest, hope, deliverance from sin, victory over temptation, overcoming the world, communion with God, life in God. All these things have been delivered to the Lord Jesus Christ on our behalf. He is the almighty Lord, the giver of divine gifts of praise, the executor of divine works, the prince of life, and therefore the captain of our salvation, unquote. All things necessary for our salvation have been given to Christ. And Martin Luther said this about our verse in his typical fashion. He said, here the bottom line falls out of all human merit, all human power, all abilities of reason, and even the free will that men may dream of. It all counts as nothing before God. 
Christ must do and must give everything. Beloved, do you know when you became a Christian? It is not when you gave your life to Christ. The Christian life does not begin when you give God anything. Everything was given to Christ and you become a Christian when Christ gives you something which is salvation and a new life and a faith. And then there's a fifth great truth that thrills Jesus' soul and that caused him great joy. He rejoices in the success of the preached word and the pushing back of evil. He rejoices in the salvation of sinners. He rejoices in the sovereignty of God in salvation. He rejoices in that unique relationship he has with God in the Trinity. And he rejoices in God the Father's decision to accomplish the salvation of his chosen people through him. It was his joy of knowing that it was the Father's good pleasure to save sinners through Him that sustained Him in His humanity through all of His sufferings and through the cross and through His travail. You ask, how do I see this in our text? Look at Luke 10, verse 22 again. No one knows who the Son is except the Father, and who the Father is except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal Him. In other words... If you are to know God and the blessings of God, it must come through Christ. He must will to reveal God to you. And he is rejoicing over that, my friends. That God saves sinners through him. The salvation of God's people is dependent not upon anything in man, not upon our will, not upon our choices, not upon our decisions, not upon our efforts, not upon our merits or our worth, but everything is dependent entirely upon the revelation from God, upon the will and the pleasure of God the Father and God the Son. From beginning to end, salvation is based on sovereign grace and not anything in us. Whatever a sinner needs, Jesus has. Listen to these words from the great hymn by Charles Wesley. Thou, O Christ, art all I want. More than all in thee I find. Well, our text ends with verses 23 and 24, where Jesus turns to his disciples and continues to talk about the joyful salvation they have experiencing compared to the Old Testament believers. And he says this, Blessed are the eyes which see the things you see. For I say to you that many prophets and kings wished to see the things which you see and did not see them. And to hear the things which you hear and did not hear them. He's talking here about a glorious privilege. He is here, beloved, is the cause of joy. Isaiah was a great man. David was a great man. All the men of the Old Testament, the kings, the priests, and the prophets you love to read about were great and godly men. But they did not have the experience that you are having as my disciples. Well, they prophesied. They looked forward to the Messiah and the blessings of salvation. But they never saw him. They never saw what he said. They never heard words come from his mouth. In other words, I am the one they are looking for, Jesus said. I'm the one they hope for. And now the great privilege is that you see me. And you know me. And you hear me. And you believe in me. And you love me. So he issues this gracious and well-known invitation. Come to me, all you who are, heavy, who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my load is light. 
This is an invitation that's often read, although very seldom ever thought through. So let's do so briefly. Come to me. Come is a figure of speech for believing. Those who come to me, he said in another passage, I will in no wise cast out. Coming to Christ is believing in Christ. The weary and the heavy laden, who is that? Is it people who are lonely and depressed? No, we are to take this in a very broad sense. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. And if you read Matthew 23, 2 through 4, you see what Jesus means by the heavy laden and the weary. He said there that the scribes and the Pharisees have seated themselves in the chair of Moses. Therefore, all that they tell you, do and observe, but do not do according to their deeds. For they say things and do not do them, and they tie up heavy loads and lay them on men's shoulders, but they themselves are unwilling to move them with so much as a finger. Who are the weary and heavy laden that Jesus bids come to him for rest? They are those who are oppressed by the heavy load of rules and regulations and laws of man and of God that they think they have to obey in order to earn salvation from the living God. Anyone who believes that salvation is by the exertion of their own strength and by their own doing good knows what it is to be burdened and heavy laden. And Jesus said to you who are trying to get to God by your good works and your acts of kindness and love and gentleness and your own worth and merit, to you who are heavy laden and weary with that kind of religion, I offer you rest. Rest from your uncertainty and your fear and anxiety and your despair and I give to you peace of heart and mind and conscience. Quit trying to work your way to God and come by way of me. Take my yoke upon you. Learn of me. Become my disciple. Believe in my gospel, my teaching concerning salvation. The word yoke was a very familiar word in Jewish literature. A yoke was the sum total of the obligations imposed upon the Jewish people by the rabbis upon which a person had to do to had to obey if he expected to be saved. Jesus was saying their yoke is heavy, it's impossible. My yoke is easy and my burden is light not because I'm throwing off the yoke of God contained in the Old Testament but because I'm giving you a new heart. I'm giving you real rest. I'm writing my law on your heart and giving you the desire to obey it and the ability to obey it. Not as a method of salvation. Not as some way you have to follow in order to win my favor. But because you love me and you rejoice in me and it pleases you to please me by obeying my law. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. There still is a yoke for you as I deliver you from the powers of evil and I give you rest. For you must now stick your head in my yoke and surrender yourself to my rule and my government. It's not that my law is being set aside. It is that I am giving you the strength that you never had before to obey it. 
Obedience to my law was never a means to salvation. And now because of the salvation I give you by grace, you are able to obey me. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. Learn from my example. Submit to my teaching. Be conformed to me. I obeyed my father. And if you are going to be my disciple, you must walk in my steps. Jesus often spoke of the high cost of discipleship, which we have talked about on several occasions. He has been emphatic that the price is high to follow him. At the same time, he also emphasizes that the life of the discipleship, the life of discipleship to him is a life of joy. Joy is the result of salvation, beloved. Joy is the fruit of the Holy Spirit, and this is an emphasis that is made throughout the Bible in both the Old and New Testament. People find joy in believing and serving Jesus. Psalm 1611 says, You have made known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. And Jesus said in John 15, 11, I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and your joy made may be made complete. And even in suffering, Romans 5 tells us, we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God, and not only so, but we also rejoice in our sufferings, because we know suffering produces perseverance. The life of a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ is a life of joy, because Jesus' life was a life of joy. And most problems arise in our lives because we seek joy and happiness and pleasure and something else or someone else than the Lord Jesus Christ. Have you found that true in your life? Have you lost joy? Look and see whether or not you are seeking pleasure and satisfaction and happiness and joy in something else or someone else than the living God. When we seek our joy in Christ and in His Word, it revolutionizes our whole lives. One commentator said, Worship becomes our joy in Christ, overflowing in praise to God. Evangelism becomes our joy in Christ, overflowing in praising God to men. Service and ministry is our joy in Christ, overflowing in Christ to minister to other people. Perseverance when persecuted or when suffering is a result of placing our joy in Christ and His promises above the present present pleasures of sin. Our study of and obedience to God's word is motivated by the joy it gives God and to us. Depression is usually caused by the willful choice not to seek our joy in Christ. But once we pursue this joy in Christ, it revolutionizes everything. So I asked you then, beloved, why is it that so many who profess to be Christians and who profess to love Christ, live such joyless lives. Let me give you three suggestions, quickly. It may be that we lack joy because we have not really experienced the salvation that it produces. It is salvation that produces joy. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. When the Holy Spirit comes into your life, He produces the fruit of the Spirit, which is joy. And if our life... It's not a life of continual rejoicing. Maybe it's because we have never really experienced salvation. Here is what Pastor John Piper said in his book, Desiring God. If you do not really delight in the God 
in His presence, in His word, in His worship of Him, you really should consider the validity of your profession of faith in Christ. For some professed Christians whose lives are joyless, all they have is a set of right doctrines and a set of right laws. They want to establish a worldview based on those right doctrines and the following of those right laws. But boy, are they miserable trying to do it. There's one thing that person doesn't have, which he or she should have, if they are a Christian. Right doctrine is a good thing, and so are right laws. I'm not downplaying that at all. But what is the one thing they don't have if they are joyless? Christ. Because when you are in union with the joyful Christ, Brother, you've got joy. Secondly, maybe a lack of joy in your life is the result of unconfessed sin. Sin can interrupt our relationship with God and destroy joy. Maybe there is some sin in your life you actually cherish. You know it's wrong, but you love it. I know I shouldn't do this or that, or I shouldn't say this or that, and I shouldn't go to this place or that place, but I love it. And you tend to say yes. When you're tempted. My friends, that can kill joy. What did David say in his prayer of confession of sin in Psalm 51? After his adultery with Bathsheba. He prayed that God would forgive him. Cleanse him. And that God would restore him to the joy of his salvation. Well, what stole that joy? Was it tragedy? No, even in the face of tragedy. As Jesus' face was, as Jesus face was set toward Jerusalem. He still had joy. No circumstance that you or I will ever go through in our lives can take our joy from us. You can't take any joy from me. There's only one thing that can squelch joy, and that is sin, unrepentant, unconfessed sin. Is there such a thing in your life? Well, beloved, once you confess that sin, then God will restore the joy. Of your salvation. A lack of joy as a Christian may also be the result of a wrong focus in your life. Your focus and your goal may not yet be on Christ and Christ alone. And when Christ alone is not the goal and the focus of your life, any joy that you experience will begin to fade. Brothers and sisters, do you have a Christ like joy? You can seek it and find it in Christ alone. You seek and find joy in the places Jesus finds joy. And where does Jesus find joy? What makes Jesus rejoice? The success of the word of God pushing back evil and delivering people held in its bondage. What makes Jesus rejoice? The salvation of sinners, all of who do not deserve to be saved. What thrills Jesus and fills him with joy? The knowledge that in salvation God is sovereign and he hides the truth from some and reveals it to others. That in everything he might receive the glory and the honor. What is it that causes Jesus joy? The knowledge of the unique and eternal relationship that he has with God the Father that we participate in by grace through faith. What else gives Jesus joy? The knowledge that God the Father decided to accomplish our salvation through Him, so that everything a sinner needs, Jesus has. Those are the things that cause joy in Jesus and in us. 
And where is this deep abiding joy in life to be found? It is to be found in receiving this invitation from Jesus. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you shall find rest in your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Amen. Let us pray. I pray now, O God, for anyone in this room who has never by faith received that invitation. They may be members of churches, participated in the sacraments. They may be, in comparison to others, moral, upright citizens. But they have never bowed the knee before you. They have never come to Christ for rest and taken his yoke upon them. I pray, O God, that even right this moment in your sovereign grace, you would reveal the truth to them and give them the heart of babies. For Jesus' sake, amen. Well, that's all the time we have today. This has been Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner from Reformed Heritage Church in San Jose. If you'd like to review today's broadcast, we would invite you to contact us for a copy of the program. They're available for just $5. Mention today's date and we'll send a CD your way. Here's where to write to us. PMB number 402, 1484 Pollard Road. That's in Los Gatos, California. The zip code is 95032. Again, that's PMB number 402, 1484 Pollard Road. Los Gatos, California, 95032 is that address. Our phone number, if you'd rather call, 408-866-5607. That's 408-866-5607. Our website is reformedheritage.org. And if you'd like to join us for worship, Sunday services are at 2 p.m. We meet at the Lone Hill Church on 5055 Lone Hill Road in Los Gatos. Directions at our website, reformedheritage.org. Or again, call 408 408- Eight six six five six zero seven. Thank you for joining us today. We look forward to seeing you next time we get together as we continue our studies in God's Word. Until then, 